Drugs don't turn a, a donkey into a greyhound, you know. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yahoo! Welcome to episode 18 of the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe only a semi pro cyclist will travel for over 30 hours to watch 20 seconds of bike racing. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking about greyhounds. Okay, straight into an iTunes review. It's from Evo29. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Evo29. Some kind words here. This is a great podcast for the avid cyclist. Lots of good info delivered in an up-tempo style. It's news I can use. Dude, I love it. Thank you very much for taking the time out to do that. And anybody else... If you do have some time and you do love the show, it would mean the world to me if you could drop a review on iTunes. It's clunky, it's awkward, but it just means a lot to me. Or if you don't want to go that far, just tell a friend. Turn to your left or right when you're in the bunch and just tell someone else about it. If you dig the show, I'm sure that they would dig it too. Thank you. Now, the news, 2013 Tour de France was announced last week. No great surprises other than a couple of big calls being left off the program. The epic stages are shaping up to be stage 15, which will finish on Mont Ventoux, and stage 18, riding the Alpe d'Huez twice. Bam. Up, down, up again. Cool. I hope to be there watching it, which rolls me into the nuts and bolts. So if you have been listening to the show for a while, you will know I'm on a campaign to get as many people as possible to come to the tour and hang out with me. I don't care what it is, whether it's one ride, one beer, one stage or more, but I'm starting to get serious about this. It is the 100th tour. I really want to get in early. I don't want to miss out on some cool accommodation or blow some extra cash just for being lazy. And I started doing some research and I came across an excellent resource from this guy called Tim Marsh. I didn't know him. I don't know him. But I was so pumped about it. I sent him an email and asked him to be on the show to help answer some questions that I have for planning my trip. And hopefully, if you're going to go as well, this is going to help your trip as well. So are you coming? Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. One thing that I get from you and and all the material that I've read and I've snuck a couple of looks on YouTube is that you're mad about cycling and you're definitely mad about cycling in France. Um, which mm. is which is great because both those things get me pretty pumped up as well. I've done a little riding in France, and uh, I have to admit that the reason I asked you onto the show is because I'm planning a trip to next year's tour. Uh, you seem to be the guy to talk to. I also want to try and get an entry for Letarp, and your do-it-yourself cycling website popped up in my research. It's definitely a killer resource for planning bike trips to France for the tour and Letarp. What is your experience with the tour and Letarp? Well, basically, I guess I came from the same point that you had without having previously gone to France um, in that I basically just headed overseas with a bit of planning, of course, because I've been, I've been overseas for snowboarding trips and I've always done a lot of research about where I was going and, and all the other logistic stuff around that. But uh, in terms of, I guess, the cycling-specific and the, and the, the tour-specific stuff, I wasn't probably aware of 
the type of things you need to watch out for. So a friend and I went over in 2009 and did the Le Tap de Tour, and also, which was at the Vontu, and also chased the tour around for a few stages. Um, and it was just a heap of pitfalls, um, you know, doing both those things, and that's what kind of led me to build the website. Uh, in terms of ongoing after that, I've been back a few more times and done Le Tap uh, each time I've gone because it's just such a great event. So your take on going to these events is do it yourself. Yeah. I've looked at booking trips through cycle traveling companies. Yeah. And their prices are averaging, say, $7,000 for 10 days. Yeah. Um, plus yeah. plus 2000 for plane flights or whatever. Yeah. What, what can these companies offer me that I can't do on my own? Oh, convenience, I think. And I'd probably say, well, at least the way the market is being, you know, headache-free and hassle-free, you're free to turn up and not think about anything to do with logistics or driving anywhere. You can just sit back and relax and everything in terms of driving transfers and even cooking uh, is taken taken care of. Even, you know, a lot of them will offer mechanical services for the bikes each day, bikes cleaned and, and checked, etc. And also a lot of them, I, I suppose, offer local knowledge. They'll often have local guides on, on the tour. So in terms of getting access to different cafes or restaurants or other, you know, places of interest for tourists, they can offer that as well, I suppose. But <clears throat> you're right, the, um, the costs are astronomical and I suppose it all comes down to what's important to you. And if you've got, you know, seven grand or eight grand or more to spend and you're happy parting ways with that sort of money, then by all means that's definitely an, op- an option. Because uh, when you start getting into it and you start looking at the logistics of things and stages and where to watch from, it it really does get a little intimidating as as far as not knowing all the parts of it, definitely when you are a rookie or a new when it comes into it. But personally, I think I'm up for the challenge. Yeah. I have a crack at it. But that's where I came across your stuff. And you talk about a planning process. You're pretty thorough in your planning. And you talk about a planning process, breaking it down into five steps. Mm-hmm. So the initial plan, like number one is planning and the initial planning of a rough itinerary stages and writing and things. Yeah. Like how many stages? So in your opinion, how many stages is optimal to watch on the roadside? It depends how much pain you want to go through. And to be quite, to be quite clear about it, it's, um, the tour to follow the Tour de France is, is it's quite honestly a nightmare. Um, <clears throat> earlier in your question, you mentioned how the seriousness of following it and the kind of logistics are involved and where to watch from. When you sit down and start planning a stage and watching it, you know, it's almost a process of being part of a team or organising your own tour, you have to work out, you know, which climb, if you're going to be on a climb, which climb is going to be the best one to get to from wherever you're staying. Uh, and also, once the guys, the riders go past, and it happens very, very quickly, surprisingly quickly, actually, if you haven't been before, uh, and, and then it's kind of anticlimactic, you want to watch it on TV afterwards. So you've got to kind of position yourself on the stage where you can quickly get to another place, be it an official um, big screen that the um, ASO has set up or back to town to a pub or a bar or something like that to yep. watch it. Um, and that's, that's a really, really big consideration because I've been on stages before where you've, we've watched them go past, um, final climb of the day, and then you don't know who wins and it's, it's a bit of a letdown. Yeah, I've had friends that have watched the entire tour from the road and essentially haven't known what's gone on at all. No, and, and you know, there's no there's no substitute for the experience of being there and the, the choppers buzzing overhead and, you know, thousands of other people on a climb or, or wherever you are. But quite honestly, a better spectator's 
spectacle, more pure experiences, or probably not more pure, but more, um, you know, more, more wide-ranging and thorough experiences definitely on TV, uh, which is why I said, you know, being able to get to a TV after watching the riders on the road is it's quite important so you don't get that anticlimactic sort of letdown or, you know, you're not knowing what's going on sort of feeling. Yep. I think that's a pretty important point. Maybe it's it's generally overlooked as well. I've sort of penciled in three out stages, the main three out yep. stages, and lit up. Um, yeah. Not being too keen on driving around too much and, and following. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a good point. Um, I mean, back to your last question, you, you asked the, the optimum number of stages, and, and as I said, it depends on how much pain you want to go through, and a large part of the pain is driving and transits. Um, in 2009, we had this grand plan to see probably, I think, seven or eight stages, and it just it fell in a hole after the first stage due to poor weather, rain in the Swiss Alps, and we got lost overnight and, and whatever else. So it, it all comes down to how much driving you're prepared to do because it's really, really, it's an intense experience. Um, you know, end of the stage, watch it, and then you've got to get to the next point. And as you point out, if you can limit yourself to a particular area like the Alps, then it makes it a whole lot easier. And that's why I really favour watching um, and recommend people watch watch the tour in, in an area like for next year, 2013, Corsica would be perfect or the Alps pretty much stays in the same area. Um, Pyrenees is there's only really one stage next year, um, one and a half stage in the Pyrenees. So I think you know the Alps is is a perfect place to prop yourself up. The only real problem there is the Alps are so staggeringly you know large and vast. There is still a little bit of driving involved because you have to get around mountain ranges in a lot of cases. So you've got to jump on tollways and mm-hmm. you can't just drive. Driving around the Alps can be quite a, a reasonable experience in terms of how much driving you actually have to do although it looks on a map to be close together the scale is so large you have to do um jump up on the tollway to get from one place to another unless you're prepared to drive over you know little coals and passes which if you've got a camper van is a pleasant experience whereas in the pyrenees everything is it's just it seems a bit closer together um and the Pyrenees kind of run in a straight line, so you can. It's a lot. It seems a lot easier, at least when you're driving around, to, to access different points and quickly get from one point to another. But I guess with 2013, there's only really the choice of the Alps. Yeah, it is really centered around the Alps. Essentially, I'm just looking at probably staying in, in the same place, um, yep. probably Annecy. But the big mm-hmm. thing, there's a massive gap in the itinerary between Ladakh and, say, the stages. The, even the earliest stage would be six days away mm-hmm. yes which is a, a bit of a gap um you're kind of in the wilderness yep. what would you recommend i could do like is there any must-do rides in the region that you know of or is driving to the pyrenees just totally not worth it for next year i think a lot of people will be in the same situation as you you know there's that we've only got one tap next year so obviously everyone's going to be in the area at that time and it's it's quite odd timing the weekend um they've chosen i did a Posts on the website about this de- deconstructing the the 2013 was half and the timing etc. And you're right, the the time between when the etape is and when the Pyrenees stages are and the Alps stages, it's it's quite lengthy. So for people coming from on a long haul flight away from Europe, people like you and myself, people coming from the um, South Pacific, you're going to have to be in the country for three weeks and obviously then you're going to have to maximise what you want to do. I mean, there's a few things you could do. As you as you said, you could stay in the area after the attack and wait for 
the tour to hit the Alps, which is an option. There's there's plenty of riding. I mean, there's there's hundreds of climbs you can do. And in your, in your particular case, if you're going to be in Annecy, you're not far from um, you're not far from places like Borgs and Maurice, where there's some epic epic climbing straight out of town. Um, you can go do um, the Col you, you can hop into Italy, and you can go do a number of climbs in Italy. You know, big big climbs, and I guess one of the nice things about France, and especially the tollways, is you can quickly get from one point to another. So, for instance, most Australians wouldn't would look at a three-hour drive and say that's not far at all. So, you know, if I'm in Annecy and I want to go to Mont Ventoux, then that's only what probably three hours, maybe four hours drive away, and that's you could after that quickly drive down to Bedouin or or Morzine or Salt and and do Mont Ventoux for a couple of days. Or, as I mentioned earlier, just stay in the Alps and there's just so much riding you can do. Yeah, okay. I guess it, it's going to come down to just a choice of probably how far I want to travel in a car before I ride, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah you spot for choice. And, and it's not just riding. I mean, there's t- places like um, Grenoble nearby is a beautiful, beautiful town. There's some amazing climbing out of out of that city as well. But, yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's how much climbing you want to do. You could always jump. In your p- specific case, you just go to, you know, Chamonix and um, there's some awesome tours stuff there to do but also just awesome climbing it doesn't necessarily have to be hc type galivia type coals that you do all the time because there's there's just awesome little cat one climbs everywhere in that particular area and obviously around the alps so i'm pretty set on the idea of staying in one place and kind of moving around but you've got a lot of experience in a camper so hiring a a camper van and and moving around is there any reason that i should change my plans to to be in a camper yeah yeah uh, again, it comes down to what sort of pain you're, you're, you're prepared to um, put up with, I suppose. Camper vanning has a, a mystical, romantic sort of um, image. You see the, or, or many of us will see the images on the on the TV of the tour, camper vans parked along the side of the road or up, up the side of mountains and, you know, it just looks awesome. You think, oh, that would be an awesome experience, but it, it can be a nightmare. Um, I've done two trips in a camper van now, and I wouldn't do another one. Okay, it's um, it's it's a lot of effort. Camper vans aren't easy to get around in. On the tollways, they're fine, but a lot of the roads you want to be riding on are small, winding, narrow roads. You know, and you're in a, a big vehicle. France isn't too bad, um, especially in the Alps, because a lot of the roads have been widened a little bit. In a lot of cases, to accommodate the tour, but just also tourist traffic. If you're in the Pyrenees, especially on the Spanish side, it's just the roads are absolutely diabolical for a camper van. It's just, and people drive, people over there drive. You know, just it's like watching a Bond movie. It's just you know, come around corners <laughs> sideways, and it's just you've got to. Even though you're in a three-ton camper or whatever, you've got to slam the brakes on and half swerve off the road, and they just continue on their merry way. It's um, it, it's quite stressful. Uh, I don't want to give anyone a disincentive not to do it because it can be fun. It's just you've got to go into it with your eyes wide open. It's it's also very, very expensive to do. On the website, there's a there's a basically a cost comparison and, and budget breakdown for camper van versus car, <coughs> excuse me, car plus hotels. And if you do it in the right way, hiring a car and, and getting accommodation, whether it's self-catering or um, cabins and camping grounds or whatever it is, can be much more cost-effective. And stress-free. I mean, you don't want to go over the, the last trip I did was just so, so stressful just from the driving. And you don't want to go halfway around the world and, you know, subject yourself to that. You want to have a great time. So I'm not saying no. Um, it's up to, you know, each travelling party. And obviously in your case, it's up to you. But 
Um, there's a few. There's a, there are a few articles on the website about the ins and outs of camper vans and and everything to be mindful of. It's not a case of just booking a camper van, arriving, picking it up, and and be on your merry way. It's it's again, there's a lot of logistics and and stuff to consider before you jump into it. Yeah, reading some of your stuff was definitely an eye opener as far as things that crop up regarding a camper van. Yeah, and then the things that if you're not experienced with them, you ca- you kind of don't even realise you have to do, even down yeah. to emptying a toilet at a service station. <laughs> yeah, I, that's that'll be the least of your worries, um, <laughs> unless you unless you get a bit of splashback. <laughs> I mean, l- last year we went, we drove probably four or five hours after it. I think it was stage twelve. To get into position, this is in the Pyrenees, to get into position for stage 14, mm-hmm. which is a HC finish. And we got into town the day before, and kilometres and kilometres leading into town were camper vans on the side of the road. And, and you know, that, so that's one thing you have to consider is you've got to get there two, two days on, on big climbs. You need to get into position two days ahead of time. So there's two days where you're parked by the road. You know, you might be able to ride right up and down the mountain that you're on, but what you, if let's say you're travelling with your wife or your girlfriend or fiancé or partner or um, maybe someone who doesn't ride, they've just got to sit there for two days. It's not just, you know, it's just not just a case of turning up and, and waiting and doing some riding. Yeah. Um, and there's also the risk that you can't get a spot at all. I mean, we got into town and there were just no car parks and we ended up in a, in a paddock in the middle of nowhere and surrounded by crazy Basques partying till four o'clock in the morning it was just um it was just it was just crazy so um you know it all depends what you want to do on your trip i suppose um and it's the same for it's the same you know in in any aspect of your trip yeah well good answer good honest answer thank you for that (laughs) yeah i don't think i'll i'll change my mind essentially i mean but most most people will well not most but a large a large percentage or a lot of people will be guys travelling to France with um, a partner who probably isn't into riding as much as they are. Um, in some cases, the partner will ride a little bit, but essentially, you know, you'll be you'll be doing a lot of riding with with um, by yourself or or whatever. And and um, it, it's it can't just be a trip of of you know slumming it in the camp in a camper van just to set a tour you still have to both enjoy yourselves and that's why i really think um you know a car plus some nice accommodation not expensive but some nice accommodation is the way to go and, and even if you're traveling with friends um a couple of years ago a group of us there was about eight of us went over and we just hired one spot in the pyrenees for um about 15 or 16 days and it was really really cost effective it was less than 30 Australian dollars, um, which is about 20 euros um, per day each. Mm, yep. And we just stayed in one place and we rode and rode and rode. And when the tour was, you know, within 100 k's or we'd drive there to nearby and then ride or if it was within 50 k's and it was for a couple of stages, we rode out to the stage. Um, and that was still a great experience. We still saw, you know, three tour stages and a start. And we had the convenience of having, you know, the place was saying had a TV so I can watch everything on TV, swimming pool, etc. So, you know, there's pros and cons for, for, for both approaches for a trip. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm sold on the romance of uh, getting into a routine and, and yeah. uh, riding and watching on telly and, and not too much hassle, basically. That's a really good point is, you know, if you're in a camper van, you, you are doing a, a bucket load of driving and... My opinion is you're there to actually ride and um, and watch the tour and do, and actually do sightseeing. You know, go go to the bakery each morning and enjoy French croissants and 
very, very bad French coffee and um, and poor, poor French wine and um, but great French pizza and you know you're not there to just spend hours and hours driving chasing the tour. Are you? I reckon you you're much better off parking yourself in a spot and really enjoying the trip and focusing on riding and, and having a great holiday. So let's just talk really quickly about bikes and planes. Yep. Most people, and definitely including myself, will be flying into places. Yep. What are your experiences with getting bikes on planes? Or probably just what would be your number one tip for dealing with bikes and planes? Do your research and be well informed. I mean, there's, there's different components to, to take considerations to taking your bike overseas. There's, um, you know, having a, a great bike bag that protects your bike, packing it properly, and then knowing what your airline's charges are, who else you're flying with if you're on a code share and what their rules are. You just have to be really well informed. I've had some painless experiences and some surprising experiences and um, not good surprises in, in that respect. Yeah, going through your stuff, it seems like you have been burnt by a few things. So I'm glad that stuff made it into anything that you write because it's another one of those things like the camper van. There, there's all these things that you just don't think about, especially when you have connecting flights and yeah. the airline share code may be different. So then the rules are different. And um, yeah. yeah, so research definitely is one really big part of it. Yeah. So if we move through the questions, it's kind of equipment lists and then and then on the ground, which is kind of your running sheet. Um, for when yep. you're arriving. It moves into the fun stuff, which is stage watching and uh, the actual yep. logistics. And like I said before, I'm a total noob at, at watching um, stages roadside. Yeah. Can you just run through like a day that you watched a mountain stage? Yeah. A successful mountain stage will involve primarily one thing, and that is getting there early. The gendarmerie are very strict on closing the roads, overly, overly strict in my opinion, if you ever have a chance to go to a race like the Tour de Nando in Adelaide, for instance, the, the police there are much more relaxed. It's, um, roads don't get closed for the whole day. You can basically you get pulled off the road five minutes before the, the lead group comes past and then as soon as the stragglers go past, you can get back on the road and keep going. Whereas with the Tour, I mean, it's on a different scale, obviously. Roads are closed hours and hours and hours ahead of time. So, And even if you've got a bike, if you're not in position... On a big mountain stage, you need to be in position probably five or six hours early. Yeah, okay. So that, that's probably the, the main thing that contributes to a successful day because if you're not there early enough, you're not getting past, and if you're at the bottom of the mountain, that means you're watching the tour go past at the bottom of the mountain, and to me that's not successful really. What's the best way to get up a mountain? Is it riding? Is there other ways for non-riders to get up the mountain? Yep, um, pretty much the gendarmerie will let you walk up on the side of the road pretty much until the peloton goes past. What happens is... The caravan with all the sponsors, free stuff and all the swag will go, start going past hours before the, the actual um, lead group or the peloton comes through. If you're travelling, if you, let's say you're riding up a mountain in the same direction as the, the tour will be going, you pretty much can ride up till, until just before the, the caravan starts going through. Obviously, the gendarmerie are, the gendarmes are concerned with, with you know your safety and everyone's safety, so they'll usually have a cut-off time that you have to be past the base of the mountain, you know, it's probably five or six hours before the tour arrives. So you need to have started riding up the mountain way before. As an example, in 2009, at the base of the Cormier de Resolant, we had to, we, I think we turned up about 9.30 in the morning at the base of the mountain. And this was the first, I think it was the first mountain of the day out of Borsa Maurice, and um, it was closed already. Now, 
we basically got off our bikes, walked through some trees, 50 metres around where the gendarme was and started riding up and continued on our merry way. So if you're on a bike or, or, you're, um, or you're walking, then you're pretty much okay. And it's a bit of a cat and mouse game. If you're riding up, the gendarmes continually sweep up the road on motorbikes, like non-stop, and they, they might pull you off the road and say, don't get back on your bike, and you say, wee, 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 and then off they go, and then you hop straight back on your bike and continue on your way, and it's a bit of a bit of a funny game everyone plays. If you're in a car, you need to be on a mountain. Well, it, it depends on the scale of the mountain and, you know, which mountain it is. If, if you're talking about the Gallipoli or the Alptoes, get there a week early or, or four or five days early. Yeah, it's wow. just that busy. It's just that busy. Um, last last year on stage fourteen, um, the Plateau de Bay, we got the, into town the night before, as I mentioned before, and um, mountain access for cars had been closed off about um, twelve hours before that. So, you know, twenty four hours before the tour arrived in town. The next morning, I, I I rode up just to ride up it, and it was probably eleven in the morning. And two k's from the top, I got pulled off my bike just to walk. Um, so I couldn't ride to the top so that was hours before the tour was going to arrive and I already had to walk so getting back down was fine it was just um, too busy at the top so it's not just a timing thing it's how many people are out and about if you're going in the opposite direction to the tour we'll be riding so if they're riding up let's say something like the um, the cold or or something like that and they're riding up and over and then back down the other side if you're coming from the other side in the opposite direction to them you have to be there ages and ages before they arrive 2010, we rode up the back of the Obisque uh, in the opposite direction to that, to the direction the tour was coming in. I think we were riding up six hours before they arrived and we didn't get to the top and we got pulled off the road. Yeah. So, yeah. And one of our mates tried to walk up and the gendarme was trying to stop him. He even had his gun out saying, no, no, no. And um, so that, that was an interesting experience. <laughs> so as I said, the most important thing is get there early. If you think, that, if you, think you need to be there at five hours early, get there six or seven hours early. Yeah, that's crazy. That's as far as you think that you could just keep walking, you know, like who's going to stop 10,000 people from not moving on or something? Like it seems like they they definitely have most people under control at a certain point. So therefore, you really are trapped if you're not where you want yeah. to be. Yeah, well, it's, and, and also the gendarmes are, they're, they're, it's a bit funny. You don't know how seriously to take them if you're not a French person. My feeling is don't take them seriously. They say no, but they might not really mean it. There's always or there usually is a way around it. Um, 2009, on stage 13, uh, Nicolma, we were riding up and down this Cat 1, which was the final Cat 1 climb of the day, and we rode down into a town, um, turned around, rode back up and came back down. They pulled us off the road, and this was about five hours before the tour was coming past, and they said, no, that's it, the road's closed. And our camper van was, you know, probably five, only five or six k's back up the road, which is not not long to ride and they would not let us pass and there was no way to get a park, get past and basically we ended up um, walking up through this construction site where houses were being made through some vineyards and blackberries and you know we went cross country for 100 metres and walked through someone's front yard with like a 10 foot wall and walk, it was just bizarre I wish we had a video that scaling across a wall and jumping fences and stuff it was crazy just to get around them and um and, you know, we're 50 metres past the road where we got back on the road and off we went and it was fine. It's, and, you know, in some cases I'll say no to you and some people will just walk straight past. It's just weird. But um, it's hard to know how how seriously to take them. But I think, um, you know, just listen to them and nod and say, we, we, um, that's fine. And then wait till they're looking the other way and then just keep walking. Yeah. It seems like other than getting there early, it's just plan for something to happen that you don't expect. 
it doesn't seem like there's a lot of consistency. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, plan plan for something to go wrong, and generally speaking, that that thing won't won't you know, occur. It's just good contingency planning. It's you know all aspects of a trip. Yes, you know, some people are happy to go on trips and just take it as it comes and devil may care sort of thing attitude. But I'm not really I'm not really down with that. If you're going to spend five or six thousand bucks per person, then you want to make sure you're going to have a good time and you don't have your day spoiled. Well, it definitely um, seems like we share this trait as far as planning for trips. So <laughs> this is where I can, uh, yeah. yeah, I can relate to you on this level, and and maybe that's why yeah. some of your stuff sort of really spoke to me. Yeah. Let's move on now to Letap, July seven, Annecy to Annecy Semnoz, hundred twenty-five k's. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you just explain what Letap is? Uh, for the well, for everyone, I was going to say for the novice, but it's for everyone. It is probably one of the best experiences you could ever you know, undertake or experience as a cyclist. It's um, closed roads and, and 10,000 other cyclists absolutely just smashing it. It's, it is something to to behold with your eyes and also just to go through. It's just an amazing, amazing experience. It doesn't seem like it's as epic this year, um, mm. which is a bit interesting, especially because the yeah. final climb is not one of the famous climbs. What's your yeah. take on that? I think it's a great course. I, I initially had the same... Reaction, I, I honestly thought that they would choose the Vontu stage. Actually, I didn't think they'd choose the Vontu stage. I thought they might choose a shortened version because, what is it, 240 kilometres, 242, whatever it is, is way too long for most amateurs. You know, that's a, that's a serious distance. Um, and I thought they might have shortened it. And I also thought they might have chosen the Alpduez double ascent, even though that would be logistically a bit of a nightmare. But... Be that as it may, this is this is the the um, parkour we've got, and um, I think it's quite good. It's pretty lumpy, and I've said this, you know, on forums and on on the website on the post I wrote about the the etap. It's as hard as you want to make it. If you want to, I mean, you can rock some compacts and and ride up every mountain thirty five by twenty eight and get to the end fresh as days and say, hell, that was easy. Or else you could you could um, you know ante up and keep in low gear and absolutely smash it and try and keep up with the guys at the front or just try and pass everyone. Um, you know, if you did that across 125Ks, it's, it, it gets to be quite quite difficult. And the last climb, I mean, it's 10-odd it's 10, 10 kilometres at 8.5% with 12% pitches. It's it's not easy by any stretch, I don't think. And I think most people will be surprised how hard it is. A lot of the complaining, not complaining, but a lot of the people who are saying it's too easy, I think, um, are probably experienced riders, but for rank amateurs, you know, 130 kilometres in the Alps will be it will be a testing experience. The irony for me of this edition of Le Darp is that this is the only hill that I've ridden in in France. Is that right? Which is pretty funny. I thought it was hilarious. It is pretty funny. So you know it already. Yeah, I spent some time in Annecy. Yep. Over 10 years ago, I raced a mountain bike World Cup in Annecy, and we did a training okay. ride from the, the lake to the top of Annecy Seminars and uh, I yep. just I just laughed when I saw it. I thought it was hilarious. But anyway, as far as fitness, I'm definitely not going to be as fit as I was the last time I rode it. What is the minimum fitness level for getting up the hill? Depends where you're coming from, um, what base you're working off. Uh, I've seen people train for, you know, six months. My first etap, I was kind of part of a um, little group that was, we, we all went by, um, through bike-style tours in Australia and, they kind of um, gave us all each other's email addresses so we could, you know, train and whatever together. And a few of the guys did a hefty amount of training. This was the Vontu Etat in 2009. There was only one back then. 
obviously, and um, most of those guys that we were training or that were part of that um, group abandoned at the base of the mountain, even with training, um, months and months of training. So it depends where you come from, but also um, how hard you push yourself and, and your, your nutrition on the day and, in, I guess, in the week and the months leading up to it. I guess for people who race um, already in sort of A and B grade or whatever the grades are in the country you live in, if you've got a reasonable base fitness, um, you know, and you perform well in your grade, you can probably turn up and, and get through it and be okay, especially if you've got compacts, that makes a big difference. If you're a rank amateur and you've never raced before, you've never trained before, then you really need to do some training and I think probably six months is the minimum and t- probably nine to 12 months would be, would be more desirable. Speaking personally, even if I was going to do the tap, I would, I would get a probably a 12-week block, maybe 24 weeks leading into it and, and really just tune up the mountain legs and the, um, the intensity and the climbing leading up to it, even though I still ride quite a bit. And where I live is very, 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 very hilly and um, so I'm constantly riding up, you know, 10, 12, 15%, even 20%, um, but I'd still undertake some training for this. Yeah, okay. So it's it's not something that – well, even 225Ks, it's not something that you would just go from – average kind of training and then try and pull out a big ride it would be pretty hard to do i, I guess 125 doesn't seem too crazy that's that's the thing mm. I, I see where you're coming from and there's a couple of things firstly how do you characterize training i know people in melbourne in australia who would run on beach road and do a lot of lazy kilometers and it's pan flat the road smooth there's, there's literally you know there's virtually no rolling resistance apart from the wind um and they would characterise it as training, and I would just characterise it as, as lost kilometres, really. <laughs> um, if you if you do some training and it's got some climbing in it or it's quite specific in terms of endurance and intensity, then, then you'll probably be okay. And like I said, it, it all depends how you treat the actual ride on the day and, and the food and the nutrition you put in, put in, in, the, in the time leading up to the event. Having said that, um, if you haven't been overseas before, especially to the Alps, and you've really only ridden your local hills, um, the Alps are on another level. You know, everything's <laughs> everything's 1,000 metres to 1,500 metres is, is a small climb. And you look at the, the ride profile for this for the day and it's just lumpy. You head up in the mountains and up and down, up and down all day. And um, and 10 kilometres at 8.5% with, with steeper pitches will test a lot of people. And if you haven't done any training, I think you'll be, you're in for a bit of a rude shock if you just turn up and... and and just try and do it, I suppose. I mean, if you put compacts on and you and and um, and take it reasonably easily and um, and eat well, then you might be okay. And you'll get to the end, and you might struggle. But for me, I'd rather I'd rather do some training and turn up and try and absolutely smash it. Heading to the Alps is definitely, if you've never seen them, it's definitely a shock. Like it really is breathless on an, on a number of le- different levels. Yeah. Oh, there's another thing. I mean, not 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 really for next year. The, the peak is. What, 1600 meters or so and altitude is not really going to play a part in it. it's more of a it's more of an endurance thing like i said some people will get through it on reserves um and they might be fairly spent but some people particularly those who have done no proper useful purposeful training i think will be in for a bit of a surprise so as far as entry goes how do i enter Ten thousand people it seems like it might fill up quickly yeah so back in 2009 the only way to get an, an entry and um, was for a tour group, if you feel, from overseas. Traditionally, going back a long way, um, entry has been for French people or people who had access to the Battle magazine was via, I think, a ballot um, and a paper entry. And then 
the ASO introduced an electronic entry via um, by their website in 2010, which made things a lot more, I guess, egalitarian and, and easy for everyone. And obviously, it just makes sense. The last couple of years, we've had two attacks, so people have had a bit more choice, and I guess it spreads the demand across too. And whilst a couple have sold out, I think um, I think a tap helps sold out in 2011. I think um, whilst they have sold out. A couple. Um, I think last year's Iswa Saint Flor. Um, I think it was a tap two did not sell out. Um, and even this year's one had a couple of entries free. Okay. Uh, next year we're back to one a tap um, for for a couple of reasons. I speculate, and um, the method of entry will again be via their website on November the twenty eighth. But also tour groups, you can still get an entry via the tour group. Obviously, you'll be paying a premium because the tour groups will tack on um, transfers and accommodation and whatever else. Some might offer an entry-only option. In the past, they've done that. It's Obviously, there's a bit of markup involved there. They'll, they might charge you 200 euros instead of the 75 or 95 that ASO charges. So, it, like with a concert, it'll be you'll be on the you'll be yeah. on the internet on the website. 10 minutes beforehand going refresh, 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 waiting for the um, entries to open and, and hoping you get a spot. And worst case, if you don't, you go to, go to a tour group. Okay. It's good to know there's uh, contingencies even though you're going to pay for it. Mm, yeah. I guess if you miss out, there's always the, the La, La Mot the day before in the um, Alpdoes in Galibia. And that's another sportive. Basically, I think it's around 200-odd kilometres 3HC climbs in the Telegraph, so you go up the Telegraph, Galibia, Alpduez, and the Quadrifer Glendale. Um, I can't remember the exact order um, for 2013, but that's that's basically the um, the course, um, or has been in the past, and I'm pretty sure that's the day before the attack in 2013. So I guess if you miss out, that's an option. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> that's all I've got. I think you've dropped a ton of knowledge here that uh, it's definitely going to help me and your information from your website has definitely set me up one final question are you joining me yeah. next year um up in the air at the moment it depends upon a few things coming into place it definitely is a commitment going from australia i can understand it is it's a it's a very it's quite a steep financial commitment for two people as well um as much as i'd like to have a garage full of willies and looks and times and a and a Range Rover stick them all on. That's sadly not the case. So um, there are a few other priorities at the moment. And to be honest, I'm not sure that I'd go for that etap anyway. Um, although I still think it would be an awesome day, the, the lure of something like the Vontu would be a little stronger, I think. But having said that, I, I wouldn't want to turn anyone off with those comments. It's still going to be a, an, an awesome day. And if you're doing that, I'll be very, very jealous, I can tell you. <laughs> and so where can people find you, Tim? Velonomad.com. Velonomad.com. I recommend yeah. people also check out your YouTube channel, especially Live Your Dream Cycling Trip to France. There's a lot of passion in that one. Yeah. It's a good oh, that's one. that's nice. Great. Thanks for that. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's been awesome. There you have it. Some great advice from Tim there. I'll be keeping you in the loop with my plans, and hopefully you can join me at some point during the trip. All I can say now is it's going to be rad. Let's get to the tech, hacks, and products section, and this week I have... Two websites which are shoot-offs from Strava, not saying that Strava owns them, but they use the API, which is the data from Strava, to create some other cool things that Strava doesn't actually do. The first one is raceshape.com. The fun thing that Raceshape has actually done, they've turned all the data into a heat map 
on a world map. So you can go into the heat map section and check out where people are using Strava, which is not only handy for seeing what countries have really taken on board and what rides are, but but if you're traveling somewhere, you can check out the place that you're traveling to and get a quick view of exactly where the rides are where people are doing it, where the Strava KOMs are, so you can go out and smash them. I think that's a pretty cool feature, especially for travelers that are looking for rides. The second website is called veloviewer.com. Now, this one is a little bit more complex, but complex in a good way. It really uses the API from Strava very well. It will give you a dashboard and it will collate everything so that everything is in one place right in front of you. So you can see all of your segments that you ride, where you were placed. You can also chart them in different ways. You can search other people's entire segment history. It's so comprehensive. It is really one of the best compliments to Strava that is out there. It's pretty exciting stuff and I'm glad I found it. I I really recommend checking you out. It may give you that edge to smashing your buddy in the next KOM segment. Now, the quote. Let's get to the quote from the top of the show. And yes, it's Phil. Sorry, I couldn't pass up the opportunity. It's Phil just making a slight goose of himself. I don't know if you would definitely say it's a Phil Ligotism, but it's worthwhile to make the podcast today. If you are interested in what Phil has to say, about the recent happenings, which I'm not talking about anymore, then this is from an interview done by Australian station SBS. I'll link to it in the show notes. You can check it out. I don't really have a lot to say. I don't want to get into it except to say, Phil, just keep quiet. I think you're doing more harm than good at the moment. Mouth buttoned, zipped, swallow the key. All right, that's it. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 